We're very glad that you're here as we are every uh, Sabbath, every Sunday, and uh, we're always uh, blessed to know that God is with us, uh, even in our sorrows and in the pain that we often feel. Today uh, is the birthday of my uncle, many of you know, uh, Bill Isaac, who passed away a few months ago, and uh, as I was thinking about him, I, I thought that it is, uh, it's important for us to remember uh, those that have died. I think Protestantism uh, lost a lot uh, when we uh, started to uh, refrain from remembering the dead. I'm not suggesting that we should pray for them uh, to come out of hell into heaven, uh, any idea of purgatory or anything like that. But the church, uh, and even before the Christian church in ancient Judaism, it was a very important uh, part of people's uh, worship, part of their understanding to remember uh, those who had departed. And so uh, if you will indulge me, it's my uncle, but we do also pray for others in our church who have passed. I want to take a moment just to remember him with a very ancient prayer. And so uh, if you will, uh, join with me. As I pray, Holy God, we remember our dear uncle, uh, father, brother, husband, Bill Isaac, and with the saints of the righteous made perfect, give rest to the soul of your servant, Bill Isaac, our Savior. Preserve him in that life of blessedness which is with thee. O Thou who lovest mankind, and may his memory be eternal. Thank you. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ uh, has blessed us with uh, these parables that we've been looking at, and I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 7. And we're going to look at a parable that's very familiar. In fact, we actually uh, read this parable and I preached on it during our anniversary service, which was uh, back some months ago. And I, I love this passage, and uh, so I want to uh, have you turn there, Luke uh, chapter 7. And we're going to read this parable of the woman, the sinful woman that was forgiven uh, by Jesus at this meal. So hear the word of God. We'll start in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she had learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought in an alabaster flask of ointment. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, saying to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. 
Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. For he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. We've been looking at these parables, and I told you that Jesus gave uh, the key to all parables in the parable of the sower who sows the seed, and some falls on stony ground, and some falls by the wayside, some falls in good soil, produces uh, fruit. And Jesus is very clear. If you don't understand this parable, the parable of the sower, you're not going to understand any of the parables. And so we spent three weeks talking about the parable of the sower. And basically what Jesus was saying is this, that the kingdom of God is like this. It's not like uh, a warrior who is coming, but a farmer. Not a warrior, but a farmer. Not armies, but seed. It's not going to be a political or military uh, overthrow of victory through warfare, conventional warfare. But no, the agonizingly slow and often uncertain growth of agriculture that is dependent completely on God's sovereignty. He brings the rain, He, does, he gives the seed life, He does all that He does. And we are dependent upon that. And it can be a little bit distressing because we have to wait and we've got to trust. You can't make a seed grow. To survive, the next, the next after that we talked about, to survive that long and agonizing, sometimes uncertain growth, you have to build your life on the rock. You can't build your life on the sand because the storms of life are going to blow it away. They're going to knock it down. And so he says, because it's going to be slow, agonizing, uncertain, build your foundation, build your life on the rock, on Jesus Christ Himself, on His Word, on His Holy Scriptures. And they're interchangeable, by the way. You can't have the Bible without Jesus, and you don't have Jesus without the Bible. So, they go together, and that's why He's called the world, the Word. And He said that while you're doing this, I must be your ultimate treasure. I must be the pearl of great price. I must be the, uh, the, the, the treasure you find hidden. And that will keep you, because... Every other treasure, everything else that we put and make our foundation is going to get blown away by those storms, by the torrent washed away. So find your treasure, find your rock, find your pearl of great price. Put your anchor down in that. 
Because you're going to live in tension. This world is not an easy place to live in. Even as good as it is here in the United States, and look, folks, we live in a land flowing with milk and honey. There's racism, bigotry, poverty, hatred, anger. There are things that are stunning. And lest we point our fingers out to the outside and say, oh, look at all those sinners, we better look at this woman. Because we're guilty. The church in America is is guilty of the same anger, the same hatred, the same biases, the same prejudices. And it is stunning, it is shocking to see it. And I'm calling upon our little church, there's just a handful of us, a little band of desperados here, Christ the King. And I'm calling on you to be different. Be different than what you see in the Christian evangelical culture that we're looking at, because it's ugly. Nothing to be admired there. And it is going to go away, and people aren't even, it's not even going to get a half a paragraph in the history books of the church. And so I'm calling on you to be different. And we're going to be different if we listen to our Savior and follow Him. Follow Him. What is the driving passion of your life? What is going to be the bedrock? What is going to be there when everything else is gone? And listen, at the end of the day, I prayed for my uncle, at the end of the day, it's all gone. We all face that final day of death when we gasp our last breath. What's going to be there then? We're going to go naked as we came. Naked we will go. And so the message of Jesus has always been, me for you. Me, Jesus, Savior, for you. Put your anchor there. Put your roots there. Put your house there. Put your life there. And I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Well, what if I do something bad? We're going to see. We're going to see the parable of this woman's life. Listen, that was the driving passion. Love, four things are the driving passion in our lives. Love, gratitude, humility, and worship. That's what springs or what should spring from our lives as Christians. Those are the characteristics that should be springing out of our lives because we have been forgiven. How you think about your forgiveness is really uh, the, the whole story. So here's our outline very quickly. Let me give it to you. We're going to talk, I'm going to do this briefly, the backstory. Then secondly, we're going to look a little bit longer at the debt. And finally, the money lender. Now, we de- this passage is one of my very favorites, and I used it at the dedication of our building some months ago. But I did, I used the text minus the parable. We just mentioned the parable, and I really spent more time on the text about the woman and the Pharisee. And I'm not going to do that this morning. If you want more information, we can do that in our Q&A time after church, or you can, we can have coffee or whatever, and we can talk about it if you want to know more about the backstory. But let me give you, just very briefly, just to catch you up the scene. This religious leader, Simon, had invited Jesus to dinner. This is very common, probably was done on the Sabbath. We don't really know, because that's when they generally, like we do, you know, we kind of all get together for dinner after church or lunch or whatever with our family or friends. And uh, that would have been done after 
synagogue worship, they would have gone to Simon's house. Simon was a rich man, a wealthy man, a man who had a home. And, and generally, they didn't have a closed-off kitchen. They had a courtyard, and so you'd go into the courtyard, and that's where they would have had lunch outside because inside was often, uh, you know, hot and stuffy. So, the, you know, people lived outside more than we do in our day and age. Uh, and they're reclining at table. Now, in the, our bulletin, you saw the picture. They're sitting at a table. That was not, would not have been the case. We just wanted to give you a nice artistic rendering of, of the scene. But the, Jesus, and they would all have been sitting on the ground, and they would have had their legs tucked under them behind. They would have been kind of on their knees. They would have been leaning on the left side, Nobody leaned on the right side. It was just not the way it was done. They leaned on the left side on a pillow, and they ate with their hands. They didn't have utensils. Uh, you can ask Navid or me. Anyone's from Middle Eastern background, you eat with your hands, right, Navid? I mean, you, go, you, you grab the food, and you put it in your hands. Sometimes you use a fork and spoon uh, you know, to flick food at people, but you, you, <laughs> that's the way they eat in other parts of the world. You know, you eat with your hand. Everybody's getting common dishes, and it's all. That. And that would have been going on, and people would have been around this table, and this woman would have come in, a woman from the street, she could have come in, there were probably lots of people watching the meet. And she knelt down at his feet, which would have been behind, and the text says she was behind him, and she began weeping. In fact, the Greek says she wasn't just a drop here and there, she was pouring, gushing. The, the text actually means raining down, rain, when it says wetting his feet with her tears. She would have been sobbing uncontrollably and the water, the tears from her eyes would have been gushing out enough to wet his feet, really wet his feet, where then she could cleanse them. And she lets her hair down, which would have been entirely scandalous. And because we have children here, I can't explain to you what the Greek word for touching means. It's extremely sensual. It has a very pointed meaning, but English translators can't bring themselves to actually write down what it says. We would be shocked if we really knew what was going on. Simon was, and so was everybody else there. They couldn't believe their eyes. The temerity of this woman to come in and ply her trade. Now what we don't understand is he was not there, she was not there, to try to ply her trade in order to arouse Jesus, nor was he aroused in any way. But she was plying her trade. She was a woman of the street. And I want you to think about it for a minute because it's the only way. The only way she knew how to express her love. She didn't know another way. She didn't know the right churchy way to do it, the Presbyterian way to do it. Which would have been, uh, you know, hello, how are you? And that with a frown. Hello, how are you? you know, that's some Scottish uh, Presbyterian stuff that goes on in that. No, she was Middle Eastern. She was emotional, emotive. And those of you that are from ethnic backgrounds, a lot of you know, that's it. You mean, it, it's all in. And she was there wiping his feet with it, and everybody was scandalized. A commentator, an old commentator said this. Listen to this and get this. This is incredible. Ointment. The perfume. The hair. 
the kneeling at his feet. The ointment has a particular interest as the offering of a penitent of what had been an accessory to her unhallowed work of sin. Do you see what this commentator is saying? This woman, she didn't know anything. She didn't know any other way to express her love to this man who had forgiven her. Somewhere along the line, she was in a crowd somewhere. She heard the gospel message from the lips of Jesus. She started following Him. She repented of her sins. And she came there to pour out her love in the only way she knew how. She came to wash her feet with her tears and put the ointment that she would have used for other purposes on His feet and wipe His feet and weep and cry and touch Him. Because she loved him. And it would have scandalized all the religious people, especially Simon. In fact, the text at the point of the text, folks, says, in his mind, he said, How can he let her? Then he uses the Greek word touch. How can he let her touch him? It's just it's just dripping with sarcasm. Not just touch him, touch him like that. No compassion, no grace, no nothing. Just pinched, evil, me better than you, me less than you, me better, me, I have less sin than you, I'm better than you. All of the things that make Christianity so odious, so horrible. People look at us and they go, oh, you think you're holier than thou. And that's because we try to act like that. We come to church, we actually put ties on. Look at this, I don't wear a tie any other day. Well, we put ties on, we, we dress up, we want to look our very best. And there's nothing wrong, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But I'll tell you what, there is a place in Christianity where we need to be who we are, and people need to know who we are. That we're broken, that we're sinful, that we have things in our lives that if others knew about it, they would run for their lives to get away from us. But she didn't do it. She came with all of that and she poured it out in the only way she knew how. And it's amazing that Luke had the courage to actually write it down and no English translator since has. Until today, you get you know the great, the great pastor who knows all this stuff. You should laugh at that, please. Okay. I'm telling you that it was a un- scandalous, scandalous scene. The Pharisee, judgmental. The woman, broken, guilty, sinful. She knows it. She's sorry. But she loves. She's humble. She wants forgiveness. She wants to worship. And so she gets at her feet and she worships. Amazing. Amazing. That's the backstory. What about the debt? You know, this parable is only two verses, very short. It's not a long parable, but it is by far and away, if you listen, if you think about it, and I hope some of you will, I hope that you'll take just these two verses, it's just two verses, take those two verses and think about it for a while. Think about what he says. A money lender, a money lender, a person who lends money, like a banker or a loan shark, whatever. But somebody who has money to lend, lends it out. He has two debtors, two people that borrow the money. 
One owes this money lender 500 denarii, the other owes 50. Now, it doesn't matter how much a denarii is, just for your information, it's about a day's wages. So it's not, it's not a huge amount of money, but a denarii, the, the point is this. It's not the amount that a denarii is in today's money. That's not the issue. The amount, the, the, the meaning is that one owed 10 times more than the other one owed. He owed 500, he, this one owes 50. Two creditors, one owes 500, one owes 10 times more. It's an amount, okay? Ten times. And that's what you see. And then he says this, so both owe money, one owes a lot, one owes ten times less, okay? Both owe money, and get this, this is amazing. I mean, remember, short little parable, both owe, neither can pay, yes? Both are what? Forgiven. The, the, the debt is canceled. One owes a lot, one owes a little. Both owe. Neither can pay. Both get forgiven. You get it? Are you seeing what he's doing? Je you know, I know you all know this, but really know it. Jesus is a genius. <laughs> and he really is. He is a literary genius. You try and write a parable like this in two verses. I would just challenge you to do it. You know, we had to do that in seminary. In order to graduate, you have to write a parable. Do you know that, Luke? No. I'm, I'm not telling. That's a lie. I'm just kidding. Uh, you, yeah, try it sometime. Try writing a parable. Try writing one in two verses. I mean, this guy just nailed Jesus just goes. He, he takes Simon. He props him up like, you know, those little blow-up dummies that you make. And he goes... Boom, over he goes. Sin as debt. You know, sin is talked about in the Bible in dozens of ways. In fact, I started writing them down. Let me give you a few of them, how sin, metaphors for sin. You know, sin is, sometimes sin is just called sin. You've got to look up the word for sin, and it means transgression or something else. That's used a lot of times. But then, sin's called all kinds of stuff, metaphorically, dozens of times. Listen, I just, I just picked out a few. I didn't get them all. I'm going to give you a few. Amazing. Sin, the Bible says, is a burden. It's like having a, 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 a backpack put on. It's like going to Scott's gym and having a, a bar put on your back with hundreds of pounds and you're trying to squat or lift that bar or even stand up underneath it. It's, it's a burden. It's a heavy weight. It's a stain. It's like, have any of you ever cleaned out a fireplace? You know, you need a hazmat suit to clean out a fireplace and not get dirty, right? No matter how good, you can put gloves up to here, doesn't matter. By the time you're finished cleaning your fireplace, what? You're dirty. It's a stain. It's like getting India ink on you. You can't clean it off. There's no cleaning it off. It's a blemish. Some of you have scars. And I've got a bunch of scars. I didn't have any scars before. I got a lot of them now. They cut me all over the place. It's pollution. It's an uncleanness. It's a desolation. It's like going from a, a verdant, rich land that's got, you know, trees and wheat and grass and fruit and walking out into 
a desert, not the beautiful. I mean, we have a beautiful desert here. We're talking about going into a place of utter desolation. Uncleanness. Nakedness. How about that one? With uncovered. Who wants to see that? Well, thank you. It's a falling short. You all have heard this one. Sin is like, you know, shooting an arrow and it doesn't hit the target or throwing a rock and it doesn't hit the target or whatever other uh, thing is. It's, it's missing the mark. It's slavery, bondage. It's chains. It's imprisonment. It's even called drunken swerving. In the Proverbs, sinfulness uh, is, is drunken swerving. It's like, you know, I know no one in this room has been drunk before, but I've been drunk, and I've can, you, they can ask you to watch a, walk a straight line, right? And what happens? You put your foot in front, and what happens to your foot? It goes over here. And you go, no, 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 come on, I know I can do this. Like that. <laughs> That's what it is. Okay, never mind. So, you know... <laughs> And he said, we didn't want to know the pastor drank. I did. Um, A drunken swerving. Injustice. It's doing what's wrong. Doing something that's unjust. That's not right. How about that one? Law breaking. It's like an animal. Here's another one. You all know this one. It's like an animal crouching at the door. Right? You know, like a lion. And and you're, you know, you're walking along. You don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden, this thing jumps out from behind and gets you around the neck. And, you know, next thing you're, of course, he prays first. Then he eats you. A Christian animal. It's also called a disease, like leprosy. Uh, It's also a wage that you can earn. You know, sin, uh, sin is a wage. And it's also called death. And then here, he calls it a debt. Sin is a debt. A debt. You owe something. In other words, you owe it. And you have to think, and I want you to think deeply about this. You owe something, and you got to pay. You have to pay. All right? This is one of many metaphors, not the only one, just one. So the second thing the parable teaches us is that debt is debt. Do you remember sin is debt? That's the first idea that he gives us. But he also says debt is debt. In other words, the amount is what? The amount's not the issue. You can have 500, you can have 50, you can have one, you can have two, you can have three. You can have one point. You could have a 0.001%. You can have any amount. The amount is not the issue. Jesus is demanding that those who listen to Simon got it. So, you know, if Simon, can, Simon was a smart guy. He's a Pharisee. He understood what Jesus was saying. Debt is debt. The amount is not the issue. It's the ability to pay back the debt. That's what's in view. How do you pay the debt when neither one can pay? And both have to pay. How do you do that? Debt is debt. Both owe the money lender. Neither can pay. This idea, as much as they were shocked at the woman there wiping his feet with her tears and having her hair exposed, those of our military that you go to the Middle East, that is undone. That is not done. You don't uncover your hair. You do in front of your husband maybe, but not in front of anyone else. Unheard of. Well, that would have shocked everybody, but this really would have... You mean to tell me that if I have just a little bit of debt, I can't pay? Well, that's not fair. 
right? Isn't that what we think? That's not fair. Why is that fair? Okay. Neither can pay. Simon gets it because listen to his answer. Jesus asks him the question. You know, when Jesus says two things, two things you always need to worry about when he says something to you. First of all, when he says, hold on a minute, I have something to say to you. Right? You need to be very worried at that moment. And then the other time you really need to worry is when he says, I have a question for you. (laughs) You should really worry when Jesus talks to you that. If he talks to you at all, because if he does talk to you at all, those are the two things he's going to say to you. He's not going to tell you, you know, you're the greatest. You're the greatest person I know. I am so impressed by you. Wow. If that's what you're hearing, you need to come see me. We have a pill for that. We have medication that will help you. But when you're reading your Bible and you say, you know, what are you thinking? Uh, I have something to say to you. That's when you need to perk up and listen. Listen, debt is debt. One penny, one million dollars, same thing. You still got to pay it back. The question is, how do you pay it back, right? Whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking all. Do you see what James said? If you break one, you've broken them all. You, you, know, you may think, well, oh, it's only a dollar. It's only this dollar. It's only that. But you don't realize what it, what it implies, what it carries on, what, what it means. You see, it's not just the sin. It's what it means, what's behind it. We get hung up, don't smoke, don't drink, don't dance, don't chew, don't go out with girls that do. You know, we talked about that months ago. That isn't what it's all about. It's not that. It's what's underneath it. It's what's going on inside the heart. And it can be a dollar or 500. Same thing's pushing pushing the train. Same motive is going on. And we've got to watch. Jesus is wonderful here. He's trying to save us. Telling us this parable. Trying to save Simon. Whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at one point, he's guilty of breaking it all. Deuteronomy says, Cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. Now there were dozens more that go with these. I just wouldn't have time. The parable is asking the question. Here it is. Listen carefully, folks. How will you pay your debt? Whether it's a dollar or 500 or 5 million or 50 million or 50 trillion, how will you pay it? The amount is irrelevant. Another old commentator, I love this guy, he says criminality of the one was 10 times that of the other in proportion. Okay? He's, He's saying criminality of the one, the woman, was ten times greater than the other, Simon, who only owed ten. But both were equally insolvent. Both had nothing to pay. Zero. And nowhere to go get it. It wasn't like they could go to the bank and take out a loan. You know, when I had a business for 20 years, and I started the business uh, when I was uh, 20, let's see, I was 20 years old when I started my business. I knew nothing. 
and uh, I made lots of mistakes. And after I was in business for some years, I actually I got in trouble, and you know I bought too much stuff or whatever. And and I had to go to the bank. Monty, I remember Monty V and I going to the bank, and this happened a couple of times. But I remember the first time, going to the bank, just her and I, meeting with a banker, and si- and those of you that have been in business know how serious this is. I signed a note, and borrowed money for my payroll because I had nothing to pay. I had no money. I could not make my payroll. And I remember sitting there with my heart just thumping away in Madi V and you know, we're, we're signing away. We had nothing to pay. We had no way of paying it back. And I'm just praying to God that something would happen in the next few months I could make, the next few weeks to make the next payroll. Anyway, you know what that feeling is like. It is slavery. It's a burden. It's everything that I enumerated a moment ago. Both are insolvent. Both. Listen. Both are insolvent. Both are equally forgiven. How will you pay? That is what the, that's what the parable is asking. So how do you pay? And Jesus, again, listen carefully, folks, in his genius, he he drops the whole issue of payment. Now, think about that for a minute. What if somebody showed up at your house this afternoon with a check and paid off your house or paid off your car that you're upside down in or paid off some other debt? What would you, I mean, what would happen inside of you? And they'd say, you know, I'm here to pay off your debt. And, and you'll never see me again. Bye, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm just here to do it. I'm happy for you. I mean, wouldn't you rejoice? Wouldn't you go like into orbit thinking, how great is that? You see, what he does is pure genius. He takes and lifts the burden. Do you feel it? If you don't feel it, you, we need to talk. He lifts the burden. He quits talking about the dead and he starts talking about who? The money lender. And believe me, Simon would have understood. In fact, they all, they all understood. Everybody at that meal understood it. Especially the religious bunch. Especially the theologians and the Bible readers. Especially the churchgoers. They all understood because they were enraged. Who does he think he is? Listen, he knew who he was. He knew he was the money lender. They didn't know. Who they were. He says to them, do you see this woman? Do you see her? Well, of course, it was a rhetorical question. They all saw her. He's begging them. Do you see her? The implied in the question is, do you see you? No, they were so blind. They didn't see themselves. Well, I may just have a little debt. I can manage to work that off. Don't we think that? Don't we think, I can manage, I can work this off, I can do enough good to balance out the bad? It would be fine. Look, folks, it would be fine if we were talking about me. If you owed me something and you came to me and said, I want to work off my my debt. I know I owe you. I will do the following things to work off my debt. You know, I'll mow your grass. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll pay for your haircuts. I, I wouldn't let you pay, cut my hair. I would make you pay for my haircut. Uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll wash your car. 
like Seinfeld, I'll be your butler. Nobody watches Seinfeld. Okay, never mind. Uh, you could work your debt off with me. Fine. Yeah, no problem. But I, look, folks, I don't want to give you bad news. Let me tell you something. There is not a way in this world, not a way in this world, if you live to be a thousand years old, you will never work off the debt you owe God. And don't even think you can. And if you think you can, you are living an illusion. Because you don't have enough of whatever it would take. Yes? Are you listening? You don't have the right amount. And secondly, you don't have the currency. You'd be trying to pay with pesos or uh, lira or whatever else, dollars, and he needs something entirely different. Are you with me? You don't have the right, you don't have the right amount and you don't have the right currency. So don't fool yourself and say, yes, I can. I'll make a big donation to the church or I'll do something really nice. Or I'll, I'll, get up, I'll get up extra early, 30 minutes early, and I'll read my Bible for two or three days in a row. That'll really impress God. I'll do my devotions. I'll make sure I don't miss church. I'll come even when I'm not feeling well. Or when I'd really like to go to IHOP and have some pancakes. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of them both. He who did not spare his only son gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously, freely give us all things? You know what is so crazy? Something that just blew my mind. The word for when he could not pay canceled that word is exarisato, excarisato. It means to cancel graciously. It's the word caris, grace. And he says the same things. Same thing he says in Romans. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not with us graciously Give us all things. Same word. Same understanding. Same meaning underneath. Do you see this woman? Yes, I see. Do you see you can't pay your debt? Yes, I know I can't pay. Not in a million years could I pay. Therefore, I will kneel at his feet and wash his feet with my tears. I will repent and believe the gospel that this man is my Savior. Who is this who forgives sins? Who is it? They asked the right question. They asked, these men asked the right question. Who is this that forgives sins? The one who can also say, your faith has saved you. Your faith, in fact, in your Bible, you should put a little mark there, your faith in me will save you. Because you can put faith in it. You can put faith in these pews or this chair or this church or this pulpit or you can put faith in me. Please don't. You can put faith anywhere you want and it will not save you. But you put faith in Jesus Christ and He will save you. He will save you. Jesus lives a perfect life of obedience, of love and grace. Yet, He is wrongly, wrongly accused. And, and 
We don't know who said it, but somebody, it's an anonymous saying, somebody said, we owed a debt. Listen, we owed a debt we could not pay. He paid a hard debt that he did not owe. And why? Because he had the right currency. A perfect life. And he had the right amount. His body and his blood all in every last drop. He didn't tithe his blood. He gave it all. And that's why we don't believe in tithing. He wants all your money. He wants all your life. He wants everything. He wants you to come to the table today and pour it all out for Him. Say, everything I have, whatever you want is yours. You command me. You're my king. You paid my debt. I'm free. And then, and only then, folks, money will not be your master. Neither will anything else, by the way. He will be your master. Let's pray. Our God and Father, uh, I know my debt is a burden. I think of it almost every day. But I also remember every day the price that was paid for me. And I will never forget it. Every Sunday when we take communion, Father, we see our debt paid. And we see your love. You didn't just forgive us, cancel the debt. You graciously did it. Ex carisato. Graciously canceled that debt with joy and love in your heart towards us. Happily, happy to do it. To free your children from their debt. Help us. Save us. Have mercy on us, O God, according to your grace. Amen.